0: This is Josh Summers, and you're listening to Everyday Sublime, the podcast that endeavors to explore a full-spectrum spirituality. And in this episode, what I'm trying to do is offer some reflections and share voices from the online practice community, or sangha, that my partner Terry and I run or facilitate from our home in Maine. Um, And so this is a sangha, this is a community of like-minded folks that value yin yoga, energy work, particularly in the form of qigong, and contemplative meditation. And we're exploring how to bring all of those three practices together into a really powerful synergistic blend. Um, But what I wanted to do in this talk is, is share with you some of the voices from the sangha and really offer some reflections about the nature of Sangha, the nature of conversation with like-minded individuals, how that grows and expands all of our individual worldviews and perspectives to hear the experience of others, and how that deepens and enriches our own ongoing commitment to our own practice. Um, And the, the, the heart of this is that by sharing, by practicing together, we all either come closer to reaching common ground, Or maybe as I suggest in the talk, we come closer to reaching and realizing higher ground from which maybe a a, a more sane um, and heartfelt relationship to the world can emerge. At least that's my hope. So I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I'm not gonna say too much more about it now, but just say that if you enjoy the kinds of themes that I'm talking about in the talk, I wanna invite you to join me and Terry in our online Sangha, the Riverbird Sangha. we know from people that are joining that many of you are finding your way into the Sangha from the podcast audience. Many of you have been listening for years or maybe more recently, just checking things out, but um, you're coming in with kind of what our, our mission is around. Are, are you're coming in with an interest in integrating Yin Yoga, Qigong, and meditation into an everyday kind of spirituality, a, a spirituality that really opens up to the totality of everyday experience, the highs and lows, and brings them into the fold of one's practice. So if that at all sounds interesting to you, there's a link for you in the show notes. We give you a two-free week trial and a copy of my new ebook, The What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga, which isn't just about the practice of yin yoga, it's more about the philosophy and the mindset of a yin yoga practitioner and how that Um, can inform your approach to other practices but this is a really rich practice community and we are excited for this years of for this year of um, exploration that we're setting up and we just want to invite invite you to join us along so uh, if you're interested do join us and without further ado here's today's reflection ringing sangha voices (laughs) so for some of us this is good morning for me it's definitely good morning it's only like about just over two hours since i've been awake so the um where i come where i'm where i'm at that's a this is still a phase of in betweenness, in between the
1: evening of sleep and the, the in between the the day of activity and i um when we set
0: the schedule up like this, I was always worried that how am I ever going to give a Dharma talk at 7am, <laughs> how am I going to do this, but um, having done it now a little bit, I, I find that um, I actually enjoy it, I like uh, the fact that I'm not fully awake, and that this in between space of time, in between space of energy, um, lets my mind move a little bit more laterally let's my mind move a little bit more uh, non-linearly at times and um, and it's 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 interesting to reflect on practice and my experience of practice and your experience of practice from that space so um i want to pick up on our conversation and practice from last week and i I hope some of you have had a chance to to listen to last week's session. Um, I know from emails that many of you have. And um, I want to really try
1: to speak to first the I'm trying to think of the right word here. I want to speak to what
0: many members have been commenting on, which is how and I'm trying I'm trying to do this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm being self-congratulatory.
1: <laughs>
0: and that's tricky. But many members are commenting on how deep the reflections from the Sangha are. That um, people are, are commenting that they've been in other online spaces, you know, on other online yoga spaces, um, and are noticing that there's something somewhat unique about uh, the kind of community that's forming in this particular Riverbird Sangha space. And uh, comments have come in around the courage and bravery of members who share from their own experience around vulnerable, sensitive topics. And, right, that word vulnerability comes up. Uh, and I would <clears throat> underline that given just speaking Online, you know, outside of a, the way we are used to speaking in circles, um, brings up vulnerability and a, and a different kind of vulnerability than I, than I think many of us are used to. So I just wanted to—I've w- been really sitting with the um, what to me feels—I think Terry agrees with me here—but what feels to us like growth in our community, like really healthy growth. And to those of you that are just coming in, you might hear someone share something very deep and poignant and vulnerable and and the courage that it it, it requires. And you might think, well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to speak like that? How am I going to show up? How am I going to participate? What's my role here? What's my connection? And um, I, I guess really what I want to say is this: I think this kind of conversation doesn't happen by magic. It doesn't happen in a vacuum it happens as a result of our practice. We've, and we've many of us have been practicing now together for at least two years online. Um, we've been showing up together, hearing each other, getting familiar with the themes that are alive and, um, and, and, and in some sense calling for attention in our hearts. And many of us have been practicing together longer than that. You know, some of us uh, have been have taken trainings with me and Terry over the last five, ten plus years. Um, and then that got me thinking about how how long have some of you been here? <laughs> mean, how long have some of us been together? How long have I been with some of you? And uh, there it got me thinking back to when I first started teaching in a, in a communities based yoga studio in Boston, which is no longer there, but a new yoga studios in the space, but this, the studio is called Back Bay Yoga. And um, it's where I started teaching yoga and meditation and practicing acupuncture when I came home from Burma, after uh, that really intense retreat I did in 2004 and five. Um, so it was really the first place back Bay yoga was the first place I got teaching. And on Mondays, I think it was Mondays, we would have a um, kind of a an hour, or 45-minute meditation session. Um, and oftentimes, there were just about six people that would come to that as a donation drop-in. And my point being is that we had roughly six to ten people showing up, but I can think of at least three people from that time that are members of this sangha. Um, and... It's just kind of extraordinary to me to think that almost 20 years now, um, some of us have been practicing and engaging with these themes together. So behind all that is a big thank you to all of you for your contribution, your presence, your practice. Um, and as I reflected on the, the sh- some of the shares, which I'm, I'm going to, I want to uh, share with you today. I wanna, some, particularly the shares that came, came in over email, I'd like to read from few of them just to um, continue to open up the conversation here about practice so the conversation about practice and the intersection the relationship between how we're practicing and how we're living and really those are those are two sides of the same thing that when we really look at how we're living in our practice We see what we're activating, we'll see what intentions we're acting from. And the more we see that in our practice, the more conscious and awake we become to those conditions in our life. But in reflecting on the the voices of our sangha, um, uh, an old song, and it's an old song to me, You likely, I'm guessing some of you may have heard it just because of your own age and your own interest in environmentalism. But there's an old song that came to me um, from a musician, who I would say is part of my spiritual ancestry. Like last year, I shared some stories about the the jazz pianist, Abdullah Ibrahim, and his influence on me, and I would consider Abdullah part of my spiritual ancestry. But another member of my, my, um, you know, my grandparents of spiritual ancestry is the American musician and saxophonist Paul Winter. And Paul Winter, I'll, I'll, I'll say more about him probably in another talk, but he in many ways was the the, the father of an environmental world music um, in that he, to my mind, was one of the first people to really effectively draw in uh, a a multitude or a multiplicity of musical influences from around the world, and combine that with animalistic, animal music sounds, um, and synthesize them to create uh, kind of this emergent category of world music, not just human world music, but literally world music from sounds of humpback
1: whales, timber wolves, eagles and creating some extraordinary sound and music. And I um,
0: I met Paul first when I was very young. Um, I was probably about eight or nine years old. And I met him on a, a whale watch where, uh, this is off the coast of, of Cape Cod or out of Provincetown, Massachusetts, where we went on a, a whale watch and uh, Paul who plays soprano saxophone He and another musician playing the Australian didgeridoo gave a concert on the boat, and um, lo and behold, when the whale watch found whales to watch, two great humpbacks came to the side of the boat and stayed there for about an hour, rolling, just going rolling around, rolling over in the water as those their, their large fins would come over and slap against the water as an applause. And, you know, it's an, it was an incredible thing to witness that a human, through his music, through their music, was able to seemingly communicate with another species. And I knew, you know, from a little bit of, I knew about Paul, part of his practice was at times to go off into a raft in the middle of a sound or Puget Sound and to, you know, all night play his saxophone with whale song so there's a way that he i feel like he connected to an attunement he he attuned to something and then was able to express it in his art that um, as i'll say more in another talk i think really speaks to the some of the creative tensions of art and the way that his art in particular celebrates the joy but also the existential cry of nature and I think his, his, his lifelong work is a testament to that. But the song of Paul's that kept coming back to me was from an album that was released in 1973, the year I was born. And the album was called Common Ground. And I just want to share you the lyrics, share with you the lyrics. It's a brief, brief set of lyrics, because I think these lyrics,
1: to me, embody the spirit of a sangha and the community that we're forming, or that we've formed. So the lyrics are this. They are,
0: voices are calling round the earth. Music is rising
1: in the sea. The spirit of morning fills the air, guiding my journey home. Where is the path beyond the forest? Where is the, where is the song I always knew? I remember it just around the bend. In the village, the music never ends. In a circle of friends, in a circle of sound, all our voices will ring when we touch common ground. And so that sense of a circle, and a circle of friends, and a circle of sound, and a circle of practitioners, in a circle of dharma. May all our voices, if I turn this into an intention, may all our voices ring as we touch common ground. And common ground used to be
0: a, a kind of a, a rallying cry. And I I even wonder whether it's the phrase we want anymore. As I've heard some people say,
1: are we able to reach common ground or should we be reaching for higher ground? Can we reach higher ground together? And to me, those aren't mutually exclusive, but... So I... Particularly, you know, the opening phrase, one of the
0: opening phrases here, the spirit of mourning fills the air. One, One sangha member wrote, You change the timing of the classes the week after I joined the Sangha. And my first thought when I read that that email informing us was, oh my God, do I really want to hear a Dharma talk at 7 (laughs) a.m. on a Monday morning? The spirit of morning fills the air. (laughs) Well, this person says, it turns out the answer is yes. Yes to a Dharma talk, a Qigong practice, a yin practice. Fortunately, I've always been a morning person, but it's now become a cherished morning ritual to inhabit the
1: peaceful quiet before dawn and practice, listen, and reflect with all of you. That said, this person says, I feel like I've been drinking from the proverbial fire hose,
0: not only because the teachings both of you share, but also because of the wise, thoughtful and erudite reflections
1: shared at the end of each class by the Sangha members. And that captured to me the, the sense of depth and
0: richness and vibrancy in the participatory voices. And, and participatory being the active voices, but even the quiet voices the, the presence
1: of everybody here, holding that container. Another member in part of their reflection said, this
0: sangha has made changes for me in my life and given me permission to be in ways I hadn't been able to be before.
1: The sangha has made changes for me in my life and given me permission to be in ways I hadn't been able to be before. Small incremental changes, but big nonetheless, I would add. And um, as I share some of these, I just want to also editorially say I'm not
0: uh, using anyone's name right now. I'm just this is a an innovation I'm trying to share the spirit of a heart without necessarily putting a name tag on it. Um, and that's partly inspired by uh, a book that my friends Linda Madero and Nellie Coffer have written on reflective meditation. Um, That book isn't published yet, but a conversation with them about that, their book is coming on the podcast this week. But one of the things that I I liked about their book was that they wrote it as a conversation between the two of them. So There's two authors writing this book in conversation, but they never let you know who's speaking. You know, it's not not like Linda says this, and then Nellie says this, and Linda says this. It's just voice A and voice B. In conversation and I found it very interesting reading that way. And this is why I'm sharing these reflections this way is that to just hear the spirit of the voice, um, without necessarily associating it with a particular person or a face, but just to hear the spirit and let that touch you. There's not necessarily this isn't us, not necessarily the right way to do it, the best way. This is just an interesting way I'm exploring, um. So, in response to last week's the specific themes of last week's reflection and talk around um, the reflections I gave um, on a, a passage from Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail about direct, uh, nonviolent direct action, like the 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 energy that nonviolent direct action has in in social space in political space but i was opening up the reflection what that has for us in terms of our practice space what does non-direct non-violent direct action look like in our practice space and uh one member wrote that someone's comment from the sangha had them reflecting on a talk given by somebody else in a podcast on the theme of ahimsa so ahimsa is the Sanskrit word often translated as nonviolence. And this this member wrote, ahimsa is of course widely translated as nonviolence. But they say we must examine who did those translations, parenthetically mostly white men, and for whom, parenthetically white colonizers. In the podcast that they shared, this person shares, one of the speakers often translates ahimsa in their teaching as anti-violence so not non-violence but anti-violence and they discussed that um, when we use our yoga practices in this aligned with anti-violence it's the idea of actively removing violence from our communities and actively preventing harm how do we resist they say how do we resist locate and understand violence For me, the Sangha member says, this philosophy has replaced my ideals of nonviolence, which I think is most often experienced as passive, which came up in our discussion last week, even if it's not the intention. I also now teach this version of Ahimsa with students,
1: particularly teacher trainees, and many rich conversations have come from this. and i i really appreciate this share and there's another one that's that, that gets into some similar theming around reflecting on the theme of nonviolence in terms of its impact
0: or its engagement with our social sphere
1: our social life meaning our social political life and Before I share the final uh, voice from the sangha in this session, one thing I want to
0: loosely try to frame is, I guess I would describe it as a boundary that I have found
1: important and helpful. And this is a boundary for how I feel comfortable speaking
0: about these kinds of themes in our in this community. And if I were to try to put my finger on it, the boundary is that this is a uh, this is a community of practice using yoga and meditation practice that as we try to say is one practice with many forms or maybe one practice with evolving forms of yin yoga, qigong, meditation. But the root of the intention, the one practice, is the awakening of the heart mind, or the, the the nurturing, the support of the, this process of awakening. Because awakening is not, you know, a one one and done event. It's a process of ongoing growth, expansion, understanding, engagement. And so that's at the root of what Terry and I identify as our
1: kind of our quote unquote mission to support one practice with many forms and the boundary is that this is an interior process the spiritual
0: development we could call it mystical development not necessarily mystical in the sense
1: of understanding something intangible or you know um, kind of
0: immaterial but mystical in the sense of direct experience that transforms a direct perception of something, a direct awakening of something that transforms your consciousness, transforms how you see, how you understand your relationship
1: as a part to the whole that you're in. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is the inner work we do absolutely
0: in my view in my experience transforms how we are a participant in the world but the boundary i'm trying to articulate is that as a leader or as a facilit- really a, a facilitator leader here if i get specific
1: about what action in the world should look like meaning i start giving, uh, I get didactic about what
0: wise action in the world should look like. I feel like I cross a line from developing internal transformation
1: to then, in a sense, preaching ideology, political ideals of what you should do. And so that, in a
0: way, shifts out of facilitating your own questioning, your own interior exploration, your own soul-searching, and your own answers. If I give like something too specific that you should do, or that I feel like we all should do, if I get political, if I get um, too pragmatically put political, Then I feel like I cross a a certain boundary and I'm no longer teaching
1: a practice of self-realization. I'm teaching more of a political action platform from more of a political action platform.
0: So these are related though, of course, and I want to acknowledge that. But it, the boundary that and the fine line that I'm trying to walk is how do I stay on the middle path as a facilitator between asking questions, reflecting on questions, reflecting on teachings that open up an exploration without turning that exploration
1: into a codified organization of ideals that becomes ideology? And I think that's really what um, it sounds like wow how did josh come to that i'm
0: borrowing i'm modeling myself on what i understand the how the buddha taught very much and i i hear again and again his resistance to say things absolutely his resistance of ideology his resistance of absolutes his resistance against nihilism all forms of resistance to occupy a middle way between the extremes of this and that, that is adaptive, contextually dependent.
1: So how how we act is contextually dependent to where the context we're in. Because this this next share I, I really uh, spoke to me very deeply, and I think it offers some beautiful.
0: Uh, just like the other shares offer some really Im- important concepts uh, to explore as our as we explore our relationship of our individual being
1: our part to the whole of the world we're in so this is the final members sh- the final share I'll, I'll share from
0: uh, one of our members they say thank you for opening a very important discussion
1: The essence of what I was trying to provide was to understand
0: the feelings within any one being's emotional and intellectual response to society. So the person was here trying to provide a vehicle for understanding the feelings within any one being's emotional and intellectual response to society. Yoga teachers or meditation teachers do this to a greater or lesser degree, and how they instruct members of their classes to respond to what they feel within their bodies. By equating someone's discomfort or pain in assuming a posture because of the initial shape of their body, so the person might be in pain because of skeletal variation, or because of the shape of their body at this point in their lives as a result of care or abuse that their body has been given over the course of their life to equating emotional stress or intellectual discomfort or pain of living in a society which is
1: a result of the accumulated care or abuse by that society. By considering all these, I'm, editorial,
0: I'm embellishing a little bit, but by considering all of these and paraphrasing, perhaps, they say, perhaps people can better understand the need to take some action. And this is kind of at the heart of the reflection I was asking next yesterday. When we experience ourselves in a creative tension, sorry, I should have said last week, but the reflection from last week, I was reflecting on how practice creates a creative tension between what is and What we think should be what ought to be what we what we feel is right to be what feels just practice creates that tension between what is and what the mind imagines it could be or should be or wants it to be and in that tension the question emerges
1: how do i act what do i do what how do i act This
0: member says, perhaps people can better understand the need to take some action and how that action can be different for every person. I really like that. There's no ideology of what right action is. But that through questioning and awakening the sense of need to act, each person will act in a way that's unique to them backing off moving or changing something in society to relieve the tension or discomfort or
1: pain. And then this reflection really um, moves into this deeper question, what
0: is nonviolence? And other members were were getting at that too. What is nonviolence? Is
1: self-immolation, setting oneself on fire, Nonviolence, And yet, for someone who is a member of a
0: minority within a society and who takes action to change that society's treatment of that minority by sitting down in front of a line of police armed with nightsticks, dogs, fire hoses, tear gas, and
1: guns, isn't that the ultimate result of that nonviolent action? Isn't the ultimate result of that nonviolent action the same as self-immolation? And that particular passage um, really came home
0: to me and Terry this week. We, we re-watched the, the film that was made about Gandhi's life, starring Ben Kingsley. and the, the way that film depicted nonviolent direct action was just what this member was describing at certain points protesters would peacefully move towards a a, a gate of passage where armed police or armed uh, army officers stood in resistance and as the peaceful protesters approached the first phalanx of the of
1: of the of the march would get brutally beaten is that not self immolation and what's what is the
0: karmic impact of that i would ask this member continues i'm just going to wrap up here I'll try to wrap up there's a lot here trying to affect change takes courage whether that courage is as simple as being willing to cause a disturbance by moving within a meditation room to relieve a discomfort within one's own body Whether that courage is being part of a picket line outside of a factory to relieve the discomfort to workers caused by harmful practices within that factory or a life impossible to maintain because of wages below a living wage or the lack of health care. Whether the courage is putting one's very life at risk by standing in front of a bulldozer or a line of police to change society's attitudes towards environmental destruction or degradation of a human's or minority's life itself. Obviously, there are differences in these examples in the scale of courage required for each action based on the potential difference in the scale
1: of response to each action itself. But trying to take off the backpack,
0: and here's a metaphor that came up, the backpack, Trying to take off the backpack of privileges that white people or members of any majority carry that allows them a life that requires less courage to live every
1: day as they choose. To examine the contents of that backpack. To
0: understand what life is like for people without a backpack. And how angers can build because of jealousy of people with a backpack. Because of impatience with the inability of those with backpacks to see how difficult life can be without a backpack. Because the injustice of backpacks of privilege not being available to all.
1: And because a hairpin tossed from the backpack can't take the place of the full set of tools. This is what I was trying to get at, they say, simple,
0: some simple way for a simple insight into what others experience. And through that, perhaps some understanding. And as a result of some empathy, or even better, some action on the part of the the member of the majority to change things for the better.
1: Again, thank you for opening the discussion. And I would just say to all of you that shared, thank you for your shares. So, last week's reflection clearly stirred some great themes, some great voices, great perspectives. And I think we'll just move into a city now to, to reflect on what's alive in our life. Um, And I'm going to give a, a very brief prompt based on some of the reflections that I read from and the themes that I was sharing on.
0: A prompt around for practice to explore the creative tension in your practice. And I'm just broadly describing the creative tension
1: as the tension between what is like what's happening in real time and what could should
0: ought to be happening what you want to be happening what you don't want to be happening what's allowed into your is of this moment what's not allowed into your
1: nowness and how to act in response to what we experience how to act? This is an open question. It's an open question. How do we act? To use our practice as a laboratory.
0: And Another member talked about sort of comparing the, the work we're doing to the experiments with truth that Gandhi did in his own life. That our practice is an experiment with truth. The Truth is the way things are. And how do we engage or
1: relate to the experience of our truth? Our practice is a laboratory for studying actions and their effects. Actions of movement, body, breath, attention. Actions of intention. When we activate an intention, what is the effect of that? When we don't activate an intention, what's the effect of that? And what is the effect of awareness itself this is a broader
0: bigger question what is the karmic influence of awareness versus non-awareness okay i hope you enjoyed those reflections i hope they open up some avenues for inquiry and exploration in your practice particularly the prompt at the end i hope that uh, that prompt around the the creative tension between what is and what the mind's imagination could imagine for things to be and that creative tension when we explore how we act body speech and mind at the level of intention at the level of awareness and attention practice becomes very rich practice really opens up practice becomes our whole life so i I Support you in your practice and if you would like more ongoing support to really bust through the the barriers of self-procrastination Which I know well if you'd like supporting your practice consider joining me and Terry in our very Accessible and friendly online community of yin yoga practitioners from the world over looking at how to uh, Evolve these practices into an everyday spirituality So we look forward to practicing with you. There's a link for you in the show notes around all that. Again, two weeks free trial when you sign up in the online sangha, as well as a free copy of the What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga. We look forward to practicing with you. And until the next episode, stay safe, stay strong, keep practicing, and I'll see you soon. Take good care.